morning. Good to see all of you here today. Good to have those of you who have joined us online. I appreciate you as well, and we're glad that you're with us. And um, we are just excited to be able to worship the Lord together, and I think that we've been doing that, and uh, doing that well. Uh, it's, it's always so very good to sing the praises of our Lord. And I feel like the, this morning, our time of song has been very worshipful, very worshipful, just really connecting our hearts with the Lord. And I love that. That's so special. I want to uh, really get into things this morning pretty quickly uh, because there's a lot uh, that I want to give to you today. There's going to be a lot of scripture. We're going to read a lot of scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you, you might want to like get them, get them ready uh, so that you can follow along. It'll also be on the screen. But uh, as I have encouraged you before, bring your Bibles so that you can see it in the Word and, and maybe mark it or, or underline or whatever. Uh, but it's, it's really just a lot of scripture today. And I'm excited about what the scriptures are going to tell us today and show us today. Um, I want to start out with a question. Have you ever, you ever heard the term scapegoat? Scapegoat? Uh, here's, the, here's the definition of scapegoat from the dictionary. A person who is blamed for the wrongdoing, mistakes, or faults of others. A scapegoat. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever been a scapegoat? Have you ever pointed at other, another person and used them <laughs> as a scapegoat, maybe? Uh, sc scapegoats are, are frequently used, um, you know, and it started, it started really early in time. If you think back in time and go back into the Word of God, you go clear back into Genesis, and you find very close to the beginning that Adam used Eve as a scapegoat. You see that? Uh, you know, God approached Adam and kind of wanted to know what was going on. And, and right away, Adam was like, it was Eve. You know, and he kind of, he tries to uh, shift the blame. And, and there's some, we, we say scapegoat, but there's some other terms that we use, right? Shift the blame, uh, pass the buck. Uh, point fingers, evade responsibility, throw someone under the bus. We use, we use all, those are all really ways of saying scapegoat. Now, because of that, it has, it carries a bad, it carries a bad connotation with us. It, it feels like it's something that, that's negative. It's something that we shouldn't do. We shouldn't pass the buck. We shouldn't throw people under the bus. Uh, we shouldn't uh, blame others for something that we're actually responsible for. And so we kind of look at that as kind of a negative. But, you know, if you really dig into the word scapegoat and you dig into, uh, into the etymology of the word scapegoat, you'll find that scapegoat actually has biblical roots. That word has biblical roots. And it's interesting when you uh, dig into it and you find that it actually, that word actually came from the Bible. 
And so I'm going to take you to a scripture today where that word is introduced uh, into humanity, really. And, and we're going to see what that's all about. So this is from Leviticus. And, and you guys are gonna be like, wait a minute, you know, we're, this is Advent. You know, we're supposed to be talking about Jesus' birth and we're supposed to be reading that story. We're going to get there, okay? But first we've got to go to Leviticus. So we're, we're going to go to Levit Leviticus 16, starting in verse 3, reading through uh, verse 10. And I'm going to ask if you will stand with me as we read this scripture. Now you'll notice if you have your Bibles, uh, you'll notice that at the heading of uh, chapter 16 Leviticus, it maybe says uh, the Day of Atonement or uh, some, some kind of a festival. This is actually introducing uh, the Day of Atonement, which uh, is kind of known nowadays as Yom Kippur, and, uh, and that's something that uh, Jews continually celebrate year after year. Uh, but this is where the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, was instigated or initiated. Okay? So it says, Aaron is to enter the most holy place in this way with a young bull for a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering. He is to wear a holy linen tunic and linen undergarments are to be on his body. He is to tie a linen sash around him and wrap his head with a linen turban. These are holy garments. He must bathe his body with water before he wears them. He is to take from the Israelite community two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present the bull for his sin offering and make atonement for himself and his household. Next, he will take the two goats and place them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. After Aaron cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for an uninhabitable place, he is to present the goat chosen by lot for the Lord and sacrifice is it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot for an uninhabitable place is to be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement with it by sending it into the wilderness for an uninhabitable place. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Well, you may be seated. That, uh, that verse 8, it's, it says uh, that one lot for the Lord uh, and the other for an uninhabitable place. Um, that is from the CSB, which is the version that that I use, that I read to you uh, every week. We use that each week as we're here together. Uh, many of you have probably maybe the ESV or the NIV or the NLT or the uh, KJV or, you know, a lot of, there are so many, right? But uh, I, I wanted to read to you from that, that little section, that phrase from the NASB, that is the New American Standard Bible, the New American Standard Bible is a more word-for-word, uh, -word, literal translation from the original text. And this is what the NASB says. It says, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Okay? So where it said in the CSB, uh, for an uninhabitable place, 
uh, in the NASB and, and a few other versions as well, it uses that word scapegoat. And uh, basically for the reason, the reason it does that is because when you take the word uh, azazel, which is the Hebrew word used there, uh, azazel, uh, the, the first two letters, A-Z, means goat. And then the rest of that, uh, azazel, azazel, the rest of that word <laughs> means uh, send it away, okay? And so you take that word and, and the CSB, uh, for some reason, uh, translate it's uninhabitable place, but the NASB, more word for word, literal translation, uh, translates it scapegoat. And so that is where we get introduced to this word scapegoat. And, and let me explain uh, what's happening here in Leviticus 16. Now, this is going to be, I, I've thought about this uh, throughout the week. I, I've, I've been thinking, this is going to be just a lot of information, a lot of information. And I, and I, and I definitely want to do more on Sunday morning than just fill your head with information. Um, that's not really why we're here. I mean, it is because we want to learn and we want to understand. Uh, but that's not really why we're here. I want this information to be something that thrills your heart and really helps you to see God's bigger plan and got what God was up to and what God was doing because that is really what this is pointing to. And so just to kind of give you some information, help you understand what's happening here in Leviticus uh, chapter 16. This chapter here in Leviticus uh, tells us uh, both the purpose for the Day of Atonement and also the important details of what was expected. Uh, for it, it says in, in verse 30, uh, uh, Leviticus 1630, uh, it says, Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. And as I read that, as I read that verse right there, the purpose of this important day of the year was twofold. You see that it's twofold from this verse. It's to cleanse us, or to cleanse the people, to cleanse God's people. And so the first was to be clean, and then the second purpose on this important day, the Day of Atonement, uh, which happened once a year, okay, was, it's kind of easily missed, but it's right there at the end, and it is to be before the Lord. Now, basically what that is telling us then, it's telling us that God really wanted to, uh, to be with his people, he wanted to be amidst them, in their presence. He wanted them to experience him and, and always be in his presence. And yet, he, didn't, he knew that they couldn't be in his presence because he's a holy God, a, a, a righteous God, a God that is, uh, is really set apart and, and really uh, apart from any kind of sin. He knew that he couldn't be present amongst the people without them being clean. And so this Day of Atonement was, to, all, was to, to clean the people, to cleanse the people, and then also uh, to be with the people. And those two things went hand in hand for God to be present in the lives of the Israelites. Now, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, it's, it's not a great example, but it's an example, okay? I hope you can get kind of something out of it. Um, when, I was a, when I was a kid, uh, I... I Roamed the neighborhood. Uh, I, I, 
I was on my bike all day. I was out playing football. I was just, I was always doing something. I was, I was playing in the dirt, I, you know, whatever. I was always out and I was playing outside. And there would come a time that I knew that I needed to be home, and I would come home, and I would come in the door, and from being out all day and playing outside and roughhousing with neighbor kids and, and playing football and riding my bike and all those things, I would come through the door, and mom would look at me, and she'd say, go get cleaned up. Because my hands were filthy, my arms were filthy, I had grass stains, my face was dirty, and mom would say, go get cleaned up for dinner. See, mom wanted me to be at the dinner table. She wanted me to be with the family at the dinner table, but I couldn't be at the dinner table if I was a mess. She wouldn't accept that. And so I would have to go and get cleaned up. I'd have to go wash my hands and wash my face and get cleaned up a little bit so that I could be at the dinner table clean and present with the family. And that's basically what God's doing here. He's trying to help the people to understand I want to be with you, but you have to be clean in my midst. You have to be clean in my presence. And so God explains this and helps them to understand this. Uh, God wants his people to be with him, but for them to be with him, they had to be cleaned. And this was done sacrificially with a goat's sacrifice. And the blood of the goat was symbolically used to cleanse the people from their sins so they could be with God. So Leviticus chapter 16 lays out in vivid detail a system of sacrifice. And though it may sound unfamiliar to us and though it may sound like, uh, you know, it's kind of shocking to us to think about sacrificing animals and all of those things, that is what they did. That is what was required in the Old Testament. Uh, this physical sacrifice that they would make was very important. It was indispensable for the Day of Atonement. They, they had to do it. They had to, to do this physical sacrifice. Now, was it because the blood of the goat literally uh, cleaned them? No. Was it because the, the, the goat that was used as the scapegoat literally took their sins away? No. It was symbolic. It was symbolic. And, and here's, here's the thing that that was important about this. There's, there's two things, basically. One thing is that uh, when they did this, when they followed these guidelines, when they followed the instruction of the Lord, when God gave them these really detailed instructions and specific things to do, and they followed these instructions, it pleased God because they were obeying God. They were being faithful to what God told them to do. God said, do this and do it this way. And when they did it and did it that way, it pleased God because they were obeying the Lord. The other thing is, I think, more significant. And, and, and the other thing is this. It actually was pointing all of these things, all these details, all these instructions. These things were pointing towards a bigger thing that God had planned. It was pointing towards a bigger plan, a greater plan, a, a more perfect plan that God had. And, and it was helping the people to realize that you do this, but I've got something greater on the way. Greater on the way. So let me tell you about the instructions of the, of the Lord. Just, some, just a few things here. 
The ritual began with the high priest preparing himself, this is what we read, by bathing and changing into a special set of garments, and that included a turban and a sash. He then selected three animals as sacrifices, two young goats and one bull. The goats each had a purpose. Uh, the one goat was a sacrificial offering, and the other goat was a scapegoat. Aaron cast lots, uh, kind of like picking a straw, okay? So it was like uh, when someone walks up to you and they have two straws in their hand, they say, pick one, and if you get the longest one, you win, <laughs> okay? Or even like rolling a dice, okay? That's, that's the kind of thing that was going on here. The, it was like casting lots for which goat was going to do which task. Now, the reason that this happened, the reason that they did it this way is because they didn't, well, God didn't want the priest to make the decision. He wanted them to understand that God was going to make the decision. God was going to pick the goats, which goat did what. And so the, uh, the goat was uh, selected as an offering, was killed along with the young bull. The, their blood together was brought into the center, the most holy place of the temple, the sacrifice atoned for or cleansed the high priest. Now, that's, that's very significant that the, that the offering, the sacrifice was for the high priest as well as his family. Now, the reason that's significant is because the high priest, because he was a man, because he uh, was a man that was a sinful man, uh, a man that was born in sin, a man that was prone to sin, uh, had to offer a sacrifice for himself because he had sinned through the year, okay? But again, like I told you, this was pointing towards something greater, and so we'll see as we dig into some other scriptures, we'll see what this was pointing to. But when he uh, went into that place, he was offering the sacrifice for himself first so that he could be worthy to offer sacrifice for the holy place and for the people, all the people of Israel. And so that set the stage for the other goat, the scapegoat. Now, what followed next, what, what followed with the scapegoat was very dramatic. So uh, Aaron the priest would grab this goat by the horns. I am so glad we don't have to do all this today. <laughs> I would have a problem. So Aaron would grab this goat by the horns, and, and as he grabbed the goat by the horns, he would confess the sins of Israel. So he would literally confess the sins of Israel. Uh, he would confess uh, sins of sexuality. He would conf confess uh, lying and stealing. He would confess uh, selfishness. He would confess idolatry. He would confess the sins of all the nation. And it was symbolic of him putting those sins on that goat. Interesting, right? And then they would take that goat and they would lead that goat out into the wilderness. And it's interesting because it says that they would lead that goat out into the wilderness to leave it there. Symbolically saying that the goat was taking away their sins to a place where they wouldn't be anymore. They wouldn't be with them anymore. Now, 
one of the things that's interesting about this, the ancient, ancient Jewish tradition records that the goat would be led to a rocky place or a place of jagged rocks to be kind of pushed over the side of a cliff so that it would die. And the reason for that is they didn't want this goat wandering back into the camp bringing their sins back. Isn't that fascinating? And like I said, I would be in trouble if we still had to do all this today. I can't imagine like getting a goat to the edge of the cliff and like nudging him over. I, I wouldn't probably have the heart to do it. I probably wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe I would if we if we were still in that today. But it, it's really just fascinating. So on this day of atonement, God calls for for two goats, one a sin offering for Himself. And one is a vehicle to remove the sins from the nation. And it's clear from the text why God wanted this to be done. It was so his people would be symbolically clean and once clean to be in his presence. The Jews honored uh, this sacrifice with, uh, with the two goats. Uh, doing this year after year after year after year. I mean, we're going... We're going clear back to the day of Aaron, Moses and Aaron, okay? And the Jews did this year after year after year after year, once a year, year after year after year after year, all the way to the point where in 70 AD, 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed by the Romans, and they couldn't do this any longer. So once 70 A.D. took place, now the Jewish people have, have not done this sacrifice since then. So Yom Kippur is different now. Okay. But what is so great and so wonderful is that uh, in the midst of this time, uh, when time began to be counted different, okay, and, you know, up to that point, 70 A.D., there was this, this happening. This, this something took place. Anybody know what maybe took place? Jesus. Jesus came. And so probably around, um, I don't know, 40 years, 40 years before the temple was destroyed, God provided a once and for all scapegoat who suffered and died a horrific death on a wooden cross. Now the prophet Isaiah, he talks about this. He spoke of him declaring in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, listen to the words here, because I hope these words mean more to you after hearing all of what I've just said to you. Isaiah 53, 6 says in, the, in the, the last part of that, and the Lord has laid on him, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Do you see it? It's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's, it, it, it takes us back to that point where the priest would grab the goat by the horns and lay the, symbolically speaking, Lay the sins of all Israel on that goat. In Isaiah 53, 6, and he laid on him the sins of all of us. It's, it's fantastic. It's amazing. 
Jesus has already taken the blame for all of our wrongdoing. (laughs) But we must acknowledge him as the atonement for our sins and our scapegoat. Now, if you're still with me, and I hope you're still with me. You still with me? Yeah? Still with me? Good. I love the fact that when we begin that when we see what happened in Leviticus 16, we see all of those things, all of those details, fine details that were important, fine details that were pointing towards something greater, something bigger, something more wonderful, something fuller, something more um, uh, able to do what a goat couldn't do. Okay, when we begin to to think about all of that and then we begin to read in the New Testament scriptures that we probably heard over and over again. We've heard these scriptures read, we've we've read them ourselves, we've thought about them and we, we, we think that we know what they mean. But when we think about them in light of what we've just read in Leviticus 16, I, I heard this said once and I, and I think it's a good a good way of looking at it. Uh, some of you are too young for this, okay? But some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe even the young ones know what I'm talking about. Uh, when we, we used to take pictures with cameras. <laughs> right? We took pictures with cameras. And, and we would, it was crazy what we would do. We would take pictures with cameras, and then we would take them to a store we would, and we would take out the, the film, and we would give the film to the store and, and ask them to develop it, right? You with me? Some of you are like young, and you're thinking, what is he talking about? We don't do that. That's what we used to do. And, and when we would, like uh, 10 days, two weeks later, when they finally got our pictures done, they would call us and we would go get our pictures and we would get our pictures and they'd come in this like little envelope and we'd open the envelope and we'd take out the pictures and then stuck in the bottom of the envelope, there was what we called negatives, right? And you take the negatives out and you just kind of look at them. If I took a negative out and set it down on this dark podium here, it, would like, it wouldn't look like anything, right? But if I put, pick that negative up, and I held it up to the light, I could tell what picture it was, right? Okay, I said all that to say this. The Old Testament's like a negative. The Old Testament is like a negative. We read things in the Old Testament and we think, oh man, that, woo, that, I don't really, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Why did they do that? Why? And, and we wonder, what in the world's going on here in this Old Testament that we just read? And then we hold it up to the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus. You see, because he's to, it's told to us in Scripture that he's the light of the world. And we hold it up to the light of Jesus, we hold it up to the light of the gospel, and we go, oh, I see now. Right? It's great. It's, it's fantastic. It's amazing. And we get thrilled in our heart. And I want to I read some scripture to you. I told you we're going to read a lot of scripture. I'm going to read a, a bunch of New Testament scriptures here. 
And I just want you to see, in light of what we've just read in Leviticus 16, now let's hold Leviticus 16 up to the light. Okay? So the first one's in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read uh, 18 through 24. Okay? Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the, to the cruel. For it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. Um, let's see here. For what credit is there if you do wrong and are beaten? You endure it, but when you do it, what good? And, uh, to what, when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, so that, having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, when we see that, I, I want you to understand that when you're talking about Jesus, now you're not talking about a high priest that has to uh, do a sacrifice to atone for his own sins. Because Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. As he went to the cross, he wasn't going to the cross because of his own sin or because of anything that he did wrong. He was going to the cross for the sins of the people, the sins of all of us. And so as he bore himself uh, on the tree, he bore uh, our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. Now that, that's fantastic, but I want you to continue to see what the scriptures are saying. So this is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. It says, uh, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. You see what that's saying? Year after year, they had to do this day of atonement thing and year after year, these sacrifices weren't really doing the job. They weren't really, they weren't really atoning. They were just being obedient to what Jesus or what God told them to do. It says, otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But, it, but in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There it is. There's, there's God telling us. It's impossible for the, what was being done in Leviticus 16. It's impossible for that to actually take away the sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. This is Jesus saying this. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Now, 
that to me harkens back to the Garden of Gethsemane. I have come to do your will, oh God. He's saying that that time in which he was in the garden and he's imploring the Lord and he's like, God, if you could take away this uh, from me, you know, I, please, you know, that I, that I could escape this, this terrible suffering that I'm going to suffer, but not my will, but yours be done. It's hearkening back to that. After he says above, uh, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. Okay, he, he takes away the first of these, this covenant, this, this way of, of sacrifice. He takes away that to establish the second, which was he going to the cross and shedding his blood on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Now it doesn't have to be done year after year because Jesus did it once and it's for all time. It's for all time for us. I love that. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Amen? Amen. That's fantastic. All right, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, and, and I've said this to you guys uh, probably a few times, this is probably my favorite portion of Scripture. I love these verses, okay? I love these verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, again, that last verse there is telling us exactly what was going on there in Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, it was, it was saying, you're to use this scapegoat, and this scapegoat is going to do this. You're going to confess the sins, and you're going to send him into the wilderness, make sure he doesn't come back because he's taken away the sins. And you, you're, you're going to do this. You're going to follow these details. And the reason, and he didn't say this, but uh, the kind of the, the thing that's, that's, that's there that's not being said is the reason that you're doing this is because it's symbolic, it's pointing to the time in which Jesus will come and he will be your scapegoat. He will be the one that, he didn't deserve this, it wasn't his sins. We're throwing him under the bus, so to speak, because we're casting our sins upon him and he's taking the sins of all the world and he's dying on our behalf 
so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And he's not only cleansing us, but he's taking away our sins. And he's giving us his righteousness in return. It's, it's amazing. It's fantastic. And now we're going to look at something that you expected more to hear for the Advent. Okay? Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because... He will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Now, sometimes it's hard to read through the story of Jesus' birth and see that the angels were proclaiming the mission of Jesus. They were proclaiming his mission. They were proclaiming why he was coming. They were declaring this new covenant. They were declaring the new covenant of God. The angels were telling about the ultimate plan of God, the bigger plan of God, the better plan of God. They were telling that the old covenant of God that was full of sacrifice and bulls and goats and all of those things. They were telling how that old covenant of God was being replaced with a new covenant in Jesus. And so as we read these scriptures, as we read this verse we are actually reading about this new covenant who had come to establish God's greater, bigger plan that he had for all time from the very beginning. He knew that this was the ultimate plan. He knew this was ultimately where it was going. And yet all of this time went by and he was requiring these things and showing these details. And it was pointing to Jesus. It is going to be my son. It is going to be my very son that I'm sending into the world to save the people from their sins. Since uh, the Christmas season started, we've, we've had some uh, decorations around uh, in here, uh, and they're beautiful, and outside. And as I pull up to the church in the evening, I see something that it's just, it just thrills me. And, and what I see is I see the nativity out there, okay? And, and the nativity's out there, and there's a spotlight that's shining on the nativity. And so there's a shadow of the nativity cast upon that part of the building that's out there. And that part of the building out there has a big cross on it. And so the shadow of the nativity is cast upon the cross. And every time I pull up to the church at night, I look at that and I say, yeah, isn't that true? Isn't that true? That when God sent his son, he sent him with this mission. He's the new covenant. He came 
and, and, and we love to tell the story and we love to talk about the story and baby in a manger and silent night, holy night and sweet, you know, sleep in heavenly peace. And, and it just all sounds so poetic and so wonderful and, and all of that. But Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. He came with that mission in his mind and in his heart. And he came to fulfill God's great plan, this great big plan, this master plan that we would be able to be redeemed, redeemed from our sin, saved, forgiven, walking with him, free. Jesus would eventually die on the cross for our sin. He would bear the sins of the world, not only cleansing us from our sin, but also taking it away and also providing a way for us to be with him. He took it away and replaced it with his righteousness. And, and as I was thinking about all of this, as I was preparing for this time, the, the thing that that really was on my heart was, has everybody received that gift of God? Has everybody received that? When we're in a setting like this, has everyone in here received Jesus as your Savior? God's great plan, his big plan, was so that we could be saved from our sin. But in that, there was, you know, there was some, just like back in the Old Testament, there was, there was some obedience. There were some things that the people had to do. There's still something that we have to do. And it's not works, but it is faith. We've got to believe. We've got to believe and trust that Jesus is that atoning sacrifice He's that scapegoat. He's that one that was sent by God to provide us with our salvation, forgiveness of sins, salvation, a relationship with the Lord. Have you received Jesus? Have you received what he is offering? So many times we think of Christmas as us giving gifts. Christmas is God giving us the greatest gift. But have you received it? Today's the day for you. Today's the day for you. Today's the day to say yes to that, to, to receive that gift, to embrace that gift, to thank Jesus for being uh, the fulfillment of God's great plan for us. Amen. I'm going to ask if you'll stand with me. We're, we're going to do communion, uh, but before we do that, we just kind of want to make make just a time available for you to come forward if you want to and kneel at these altars or stand at where you are and talk to the Lord. You know, as we prepare ourselves for communion, what we're doing is we're making sure that we personally have accepted Jesus as our Savior. And then we're taking that belief, that trust, and, and we're expressing it by taking the elements and thanking him for his body and his blood. And we're doing that in that way. Now, so what I want to do is I want to ask that as there's uh, some, some 
uh, music played, that you just take a few minutes and respond, okay? And then at, at the leading of the Holy Spirit, Brandon's going to invite you to come forward to get the elements, to go back to your pews, your seats, and, and partake of the elements there. Uh, as you do that, as you partake of the elements, you're thinking about Jesus giving his body and his blood for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins. And you're, you're, you're dwelling on that, you're thinking on that, you're thanking him, you're praising him, you're taking the elements and you're, you're expressing your, your deep commitment to him. Uh, so I want to pray for you and uh, that's how this next few minutes are going to go. And um, I just pray that as you've seen the Lord fulfill what he started, that it's thrilled your heart this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, as we bow before you in this time of response, Lord, we're responding to your word and your spirit. Now, Lord, your word has been so clear today of how Lord, you were showing the Israelites things that were yet to come. Lord, we have been privileged and honored to see what, what came. And it wasn't a what, it was a who. Jesus, we thank you for coming. You know, those words ring true. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, when you came, you came to bring us salvation, forgiveness. Lord, you did that in a way that um, it was the fulfillment of what was symbolized thousands of years earlier. You shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Um, you gave of yourself so that we could have a relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, for that. And we ask, Lord, if there's anyone here today that you're speaking to their heart and, and they need you, they need you in their life. They need you as their Lord and their Savior. We pray, Lord, that they'll put their faith in you today. They'll believe in you and trust in you and what you did for them on the cross so that they can confess their sins to you and receive your forgiveness, receive your salvation. Lord, that they will gladly open their heart and life to you for you to come in and make your abode with them. Live, Lord, in a, a constant state of relationship with you, walking with you and loving you and being your children. Today, that there will be a time to respond in that way. If there's anyone here today that needs to do that, that they'll be glad to do that today, just lifting their heart to you right now confessing their sins to you, asking, Lord, for you to save them and come into their life. And then, Lord, as we partake of the communion, that it will just be a, a time in which we're full of thanks and praise for the way that you gave yourself for us. We're honoring that, Lord, by taking your, this bread and this cup and thinking of your body and your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for all of what you've done. We love you and we commit this time to you. And in Jesus' name.